Hi, I'm Derek Thompson. Does the news feel overwhelming to you these days? There's a pandemic, then there's inflation, and also this crypto thing. It's way too much to keep track of. That's why my podcast, Plain English, breaks down the news twice a week. Short, sweet, and surprising. It's everything you need to know with key insights you won't forget. Listen to Plain English Free on Spotify. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com slash FYC. All right, it is Wednesday, April 20th, 420. Happy 420 to Elon Musk and Seth Rogen and all who celebrate. Today we are talking Netflix. This is somewhat of an emergency pod because Netflix, if you haven't seen, is absolutely crashing. The stock is in the toilet. This is a company with a stock price that was at about $700 a share less than a year ago. Today, it's down to about $220, $225. Um, it used to be worth you know almost $300 billion. It's less than $100 billion right now. And it's all because yesterday, Netflix revealed its first quarter earnings and the subscribers around the world actually dropped for the first time in over a decade they lost about 200,000 subscribers, and they projected that they are going to lose about 2 million more next quarter, which is just a disaster for a company that has ridden this extreme growth narrative for uh, about a decade now. The CEO, Reed Hastings, also announced that he's um, they're going to launch an advertising tier, that Netflix is going to sell ads on the service. It's going to cost more if you want no ads, and will cost less if you want to see ads. And that is a big retreat from what they have always said, which is that we will never sell ads. And um, I think people see that as a sign of weakness. They don't really know what's going on. They also said they're going to crack down on password sharing. So they said about 100 million accounts worldwide are sharing their password, which uh, definitely comports with my world. I know a lot of people are on my Netflix password. So today we're going to talk all things Netflix with an analyst, Rich Greenfield, who covers Netflix very closely. He has some thoughts on where they go from here, and I'll I'll press him because Rich has been one of the Netflix cheerleaders for many years, and uh, he has been talking about how digital is going to completely alter the landscape and how Netflix as a leader is going to be at the forefront. And I still think Rich believes that, um, but this is a big check on what Netflix has done over the past decade, and I think they're in a really tough spot. So we're going to talk about all that with Rich Greenfield. I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Rich Greenfield. Rich is uh, an analyst at Lightshed Media. He has been watching Netflix from the beginning and is one of the big, um, I wouldn't say bull analysts, but you have been very pro-streaming and pro um, pro net, not, not pro Netflix per se, but you've been a, a big bull for Netflix. So now that the stock is crashing, it went from $300 billion almost in value to less than $100 billion. Is Netflix screwed? You know, we were the ones who came up with the hashtag good luck bundle and sort of looked at this fact that the linear TV business was dying and the, the beneficiary was Netflix. And 
it took a long time, but, you know, Disney and, you know, sort of the rest of the industry has finally caught on. And I think in many ways, everyone is pivoting or has pivoted to streaming, which has accelerated the demise of the linear television business. You know, think of a great show that isn't on streaming anymore, a new show that isn't starting its life on streaming. And now the problem is everyone's pivoted to streaming following Netflix, Disney, and others. But now all of a sudden, the streaming business doesn't look as exciting as everyone thought. And, you know, we sort of joked this morning, is it time for good luck streaming hashtag? I'm not sure we're quite there yet, but maybe we are. I mean, I think the, the challenge is Netflix with 220 million subscribers, $17 billion being spent on content is a profitable business, but not a massively profitable business. So if, if at that scale, you can't generate or you can't have the, if you can't look out over the next five years and feel really comfortable about just how big and big this business can be, and you see everyone coming in, right? So the cost of content, as you know, Matt, is soaring because you've got Apple and Amazon with completely disregard, complete disregard for how much they spend on content. All of a sudden, you have lower revenues and higher costs than what you were expecting. That is not a pretty picture, not just for Netflix. So when you say is Netflix sort of um, troubled, this is not a Netflix question. This is an industry question. Is the entire streaming move or, you know, is the sort of this shift of the industry from linear TV to streaming TV, is everybody in trouble? Because one of the big things that no one talks about is most of the companies that you and I look at in this industry they were all supposed to be arms dealers. They were just supposed to do what they always did. They sold content to whoever would pay the most for it. They all decided to get into this direct-to-consumer streaming game. They saw Netflix, huge valuation, made it look easy. Then they saw Disney do it. Oh, huge valuation. Even with earnings going down, they made it look easy. Like Bob Iger made all of this look so easy. 100 million subs like that. And everyone jumped in and followed. But now the question is, was that a mistake? Right. And so you believe it's a competition question or do you believe that there were never 500 million, a billion people around the world that were going to pay for premium video content? Well, there probably are still a billion people that will pay for premium video content. The question is over what time frame and instead of over, you know, let's just say you thought this was going to double to 500 million over the next five years. If it now takes 10 or 15 years or 20 years to like, what is the time frame to get to those types of numbers? It, it clearly seems like the total addressable market, what we call TAM, feels smaller than it did. And again, it's not just Netflix showcasing this. I, I don't want to put this all on Netflix. There's another company that you've heard of called Disney that recently said something very similar. They said, oh, we're going to do advertising, but you could go back a year ago and the CFO of Disney said, we wouldn't want to put advertising in our content. Like you want to put advertising around things like Frozen? No way. So everyone is basically reversing course, seeing slower growth. I, I, I think this has now gone beyond, hey, the pandemic's over, or there was a pull forward. Is smart TV, is the growth in smart TVs really struggling? Sure, you had the pandemic. You know, you had the pandemic pull forward of demand. 
Now you have supply chain issues. You have COVID rearing its head again in China. Like there's definitely issues. Inflation. There is definitely issues with smart TV growth and Netflix growth is highly in, in all these companies. There's a high correlation between SVOD or streaming video on demand services like Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus. There's a high correlation between smart TV growth and how these services grow. So let's keep that out as kind of broader context. But the fact that these companies are all abandoning their religion around advertising and sort of trying to figure out new solutions, almost a little bit desperately seeking solutions, it feels like their confidence that this is permanent versus temporary. That's what's scaring investors in the market is that it doesn't feel like this is a momentary blip. It feels like there's something more longer term in nature to this. And at the same time, you've got robust competition growing. I mean, I went to the Stars premiere the other day of Gaslit. You look at Apple with, you know, every show on Apple, people are talking about, I mean, you know, the, 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 we, um, I'm drawing a blank. We crashed. No, we crashed. Right. I shouldn't forget crashed, you know, um, but, you know, just like show after show on Apple has been great, you know, drop out on Hulu. Like there's just lots of content out there. And it's not that Netflix content is bad. I don't want to make that at all. It's not bad, but for the amount they're spending, their hit ratio should be higher. The movies should be memorable. The amount of franchises should be higher. We shouldn't still be talking about Stranger Things uh, in 2022. We should be talking about four new things like Stranger Things. And I think that's where, you know, content ebbs and flows. Maybe we would have seen the problems at Netflix earlier if it wasn't for Squid Game in Q4 last year. Yeah, they've had a bunch of hits that people have talked about, and they've had Bridgerton, and they've had, you know, it seems like they can generate these shows that people talk about because of the scale of the platform. But you're right. The, the you know, if you look at something like HBO Max or, you know, even Disney Plus, where they put their big animated franchises there, Netflix doesn't have that kind of guaranteed pipeline. Um, and HBO has just done a better job of producing hit shows that serve the audience. Correct. And I think that's a real problem right now. Okay. So, but they ha- Netflix has a couple levers that, that, you know, it can push if it needs to generate growth. You mentioned the advertising one, which I think, you know, is stunning to me that they would go there after a decade of saying we will never have advertising. Well, l- l- let me turn it around and ask you, do you think they really want to do advertising after listening to last night? No, of course not. They've, they're forced to. They have no expertise in advertising. Their content doesn't have ad breaks for advertising. None of the existing content. Like it's not built with cliffhangers every X number of minutes. And do I understand the concept of giving consumers choice? Sure. I get that. When you give consumers a choice, would you like to pay less for something or more for something? The less is going to come with ads. The more is going to come with no ads. A lot of people tend to choose the cheaper with ads. So they'll tolerate the ads. But I think the far bigger question, Matt, that no one's talking about and Reed wasn't pushed on, unfortunately, last night, do people want the ads? Like they'll do it because it saves them money, but it leads to a worse experience. I mean, I don't know if you've used Hulu with advertising lately, Yeah, but but, but I urge anyone listening to this, I would love to have a Twitter debate with all of the listeners to Puck who have Hulu with advertising, (laughs) tell me what you think of the 10 to 18 minutes per hour 
of advertising generally untargeted and disruptive? Like, is that the experience of Netflix? No. You know what? It sucks, but people like free. They like to pay less. Uh, people are cost sensitive, especially as all of these streaming services proliferate. And you've got, you know, you got to start to make choices. And if you can get all the services with ads for half the price, you're going to probably think about that. So the future of television is television. Is television. Wow, it's amazing. That is fun. That is amazing that we're going back full circle that the future of television is content chuck full of ads that don't matter to you. Well, and I and I know that you and I disagree on this, but I also think that Netflix's film initiative would actually be helped by getting some money back through theatrical releases. And that's another thing that they would love to not have to do. But if they're going to spend $150 million on a Ryan Reynolds movie, they could put it in theaters for three weeks, make a couple hundred million dollars back, then put it on Netflix, and their subscribers would be super happy to see it there too. I, the only thing I would sort of push back there is I don't think they're against putting movies in theaters. I think the question is, what's the window? And is if they were allowed to do a three-week window, I'm not sure they're against that. I think no, the well, challenge is- Everybody else is doing a three-week window now. Universal is doing it. <laughs> Netflix has insisted on the day and date, which the theaters will not abide. Uh, look, we've just gone to 45 days um, for most of the companies. There's very few really doing three weeks. I mean, Universal talks about it for movies that have really underperformed. But most of the Universal stuff is 45 days if it has any substantial box office. I think, you know, 45 days may still be too much for Netflix in their minds. But look, there's no doubt the movie business is changing. Windows it's a slippery slope, right? Pre-pandemic, we were at 75 to 90. Now we're at somewhere between 17 and 45. We know where this is going. Like, it, you know, it's going to sort of some form of whether, even if it's day and date, you still have the choice. Maybe that's the consumer choice, right? There's going to be- I don't think day and date works, but that, that's a separate yeah, theater sure. conversation. I want to talk a little bit more about the, the other things that Netflix can do. One of them is this password sharing. Thing. I mean, I, I think that has been an underrated aspect of their inability to grow is the fact that four or five, 10 people are on most people's passwords, at least people I know. Um, how much do you think cracking down will A, be feasible at this point and B, generate more of those conversions to subscribers? Uh, it's really pretty simple, right? It's pretty easy. They know exactly because of your IP address. They know they can have a pretty good idea of who the the real abusers are, right? Like who has 12 people feeding off of an account. It's so so the Netflix police are going to show up at all of my family members' houses? No, but they may make it a little bit more difficult, you know? I mean, yeah, they're saying they're going to offer you a discounted subscription to bring you in as somebody who is added to a family plan of sorts. Sure, and and I think there's a lot of merit to that not actually being all that difficult to achieve. Um and look, Maybe it forces the conversation of, you know, hey, mom, this is, you know, no more feeding. I don't want to pay more for you. Go get your own account. Like it may force people to get their own accounts. It may get you to pay more for your other family members. My guess is, you know, the more sort of those tough conversations, it's going to force more and more people to subscribe on their own. Assuming one thing, the only thing that really matters, I go back to where we started this conversation. What really matters here? Content that people have to see. If you are creating content that is a must-see, if you create something like Squid Game where the entire world is talking about it, and at the same time, tighten your password sharing policies, 
Of course it'll work. No doubt about it. People want content that everyone is talking about. Can we talk about one of the other levers here as well, which I think has been a big and underreported problem for Netflix is the binge model. You know, everybody loves it. The consumer loves having the choice. But if you look at the bang for your buck and you look at how HBO in staggering out these series gets people talking about a show for two months, Netflix has to release a new show every week to get people to keep talking about it. Do you think that Netflix will ever retreat from the binge mode model? I guess when the company that said they would never do advertising <laughs> says they're going to do advertising. But do you agree with me that that's a problem? Well, I don't know. I mean, a problem. Um, you know, I think in many ways it gets you to engage in a series that you wouldn't otherwise engage in. So, you know, you're looking at the negative, but the positive is you end up getting involved in something. I mean, if you had seen the first two episodes of Ozarks, I'm not sure you ever made it to episode three, like if you had to wait a third week. So uh, I think of Bloodlines, which probably took till episode five or six to really get good. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of content that takes time that you don't give it that time when you do week to week drops. Now, look, maybe the right answer is splitting seasons, you know, like they've been doing more of recently, Stranger Things, starting to break things down. Ozarks was split into two pieces. Maybe the right strategy is continue to do a binge model, but not dropping all the episodes. And so not only does that keep the binge concept, but it actually, you know, gives you quicker return of content. It's not waiting an entire year for content to come back. It's content every six months. Maybe that's a better model so that you keep people interested in the franchise on a more regular cadence. I don't have the perfect solution. I don't think we know, but I would be surprised if they went back to a week-to-week -week release model for content. And your theory here is that the content needs to get better and they need to have more hits. Typically, that translates into higher costs. So do you think Netflix should continue at this level of spending or should they be pulling back? I mean, I'm hearing all over town, the agents are complaining about Netflix spending less. They're not doing those big Shonda Rhimes, Ryan Murphy deals anymore. They're really nitpicking on some of the payouts that they're doing to these creators. Um, that indicates a pullback. Do you think they should be spending more, less, or about the same? If you truly believe that the long-term addressable market is seven, eight, 900, let alone a billion subscribers. I mean, I don't know if you had the interview, but somebody had an interview recently with Jason Kylar where he reiterated a billion subscribers. Someone's going to get to a billion. Like, you know, if you really believe that the TAM total addressable market is a billion subscribers, you shouldn't be pulling back on spending. Now, should the growth rate in spending? I mean, look, Netflix says they're growing subs this year. I know nobody mm -hmm. believes it right now, but they says they're going to grow. So they seem to have complete confidence that they are going to grow subs this year for the full year. So they should be spending more on subscribers. Should they be spending as should the growth be as much as they thought? No, they should certainly be slowing that growth in line with the growth in their sort of revenue and subscriber base. But I think the the question is not so much should they be pulling back. But they should be focusing more on keeping the growth rate commensurate with their revenue growth. And I think to your larger question, Matt, when you're spending $17, $18 billion of content, there should be more hits. The hit ratio needs to go up. And I don't mean better. And I'm not saying better, meaning they need to make Game of Thrones or they need to make crown-like content. Tiger King was hugely successful, and I, I don't think it was good content, but it was 
from a standpoint of better, it was content that resonated with consumers around, at least around the country and to some degree around the world. They need to do more content that enters the zeitgeist, whatever the form of content is, movies, TV, et cetera. But you understand people in Hollywood, when they hear people say, oh, just make hits, they sort of laugh. It's like, of course, everybody's chasing hits. And Scott Stuber, the head of Netflix film, he got a lot of shit a couple months ago for saying, you know, maybe we'll make a little bit fewer films and just make the good ones. Do you think that Netflix can say, you know, instead of 100 movies, we're going to make 50 good ones? Do you think they can just do that? I don't think they can. I'd say Apple's doing a pretty good job of that. Yeah, on a smaller scale with no accountability and no no real business model around it. Correct. Um, you know, maybe I actually believe that in hindsight, it's easy for us to say this. I think Netflix should have bought a studio when its stock price was so high. They should have gone in and bought MGM or Lionsgate or Paramount or one of these legacy studios that at least comes with franchises that can be mined and that you know people are going to be interested in. You don't have to create that. And it would have come with libraries that won't walk out the door when you can't reach a deal or when it gets pulled back by their owner. And those are two things that Netflix is really struggling with. And I think it's leading to these kinds of questions among subscribers. You know, I think, look, unfortunately, the creative process is complicated, right? I mean, what makes something resonate? Um, you know, like HBO was super excited about the Laker series. I don't think it's really worked. It certainly hasn't generated like industry-wide buzz the way they had hoped it would. Some of this stuff Jerry, is just- Jerry West, Jerry West would disagree. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure he would, but, but no, but I just think it hasn't broken through culturally the way they hoped. I mean, I mm -hmm. think it's just, this is hard. Content is hard. There is more content than ever before. And it means if, you know, it's not so much that like, oh my God, the shows on Disney Plus have been so good. People are canceling Netflix because Disney Plus is so good. I think it's just sort of when there's this much good content in totality out there, it means that the, that the, the hit ratio on Netflix just needs to be better than it's been. I don't think, it, I'm not talking about 2x better, but it needs to be better. And I think they would even agree that they've been a bit uneven in their track record over the past year. There's only been some bright spots. There's no doubt about it. But I just think the consistency of the breakout content has been less than in prior years. And I think that's what they're sort of struggling under. And I don't, I don't know whose fault it is, but I think that's a big part of the problem right now is the content is just not transcending culture the way it needs to. I think Netflix got a lot of benefits of the doubt by being the first mover and by having this space all to itself, essentially for five to seven years and people got over the moon and the wall street community just said, Oh, this is, this is going to go on forever. I mean, do you look back at some of your thoughts five, seven years ago about the Netflix dominance and say, mm, maybe we should have given more credit to some of these legacy companies. I think the, you know, first of all, when things are going as well as they're going, I think companies often get complacent. You know, you, you mentioned password sharing, right? Like it's not a new issue. People have been asking. I mean, I go think back. I, I think it was, I want to say, I, I want to say it was um, Peter Kafka interviewing Richard Plepler years ago. And I remember sort of that's when, you know, Richard made the comment about sort of password sharing and sort of joked that like, you know, like everyone was sharing passwords and like, 
across the industry, Tom Rutledge used to rail on the fact that part of the problem was password sharing out there. Like this has been an ongoing problem for many, many years. The, the fact that, you know, this wasn't tackled and, and part of the process far earlier, I think it's just because things were going so well and they just sort of ignored it. But that's a mistake in hindsight, absolutely a mistake. And I look, and I look, I still sort of struggle like, is advertising actually the right decision for Netflix and for Disney? Like, is that really what they should be doing? Is that what consumers want? Is that the experience? Or are companies like Apple and Amazon, which we've sort of talked about from a distance during this discussion, are those companies going to use it to their advantage? Because I don't think Apple's going to do advertising in their content I know app Amazon has whatever it's called now, Freevee or whatever it's called. Yeah. They're the old IMDB TV. But I don't think Amazon's going to do advertising inside of Prime Video. They will for sports like the NFL Thursday night. Yeah, Apple's doing it for, for MLB. Sure. But I think on entertainment content, the bread and butter of Netflix and Disney, I don't think they're going to do it. And so is that going to, you know, if you think about differentiation, what was the differentiation for Netflix, right? It was no ads and binge model. Those were the two big differentiators. You're taking away one. Yes, I know you can still pay for ad free, but if the majority of your subs move to advertising, you don't have a differentiation point. And you're raising the point of, should they get away from the week to week model? You know, you start to remove those differentiations and then you're purely competing on content quality. Right. And you better be damn confident in your content because if you don't have good content, you have no differentiation. That, that's what worries me most. At least Disney has the advertising infrastructure because it sells advertising across all of its linear channels sure. and has for years. Netflix would have to create that. And I don't think anyone's talking about how big of a pain in the ass it's going to be for Netflix to essentially create a business. They have to create an advertising business out of nothing. They could buy it from someone and then hire somebody to do it. But that's that's hugely that's hugely problematic for them. And they also have to start giving up more data. They've hoarded all this consumption data on who's watching what. And advertisers will want to see that. I think it's a real issue. And it's part of why when they announced this last night, it, it didn't seem terribly well thought out or advanced, right? Like it sort of, it, it, it almost, and again, similar to Disney, you know, yes, Disney has the infrastructure, but even for Disney, like wasn't like they were ready to launch it. Like it, it almost feels like, oh God, things are not going as well as we thought. What could we do? Hey, well, we could do advertising. We'd lower the price. We could get some more subs. <clears throat> yeah. It'll make the experience worse. But like, you know, none of Netflix's content is built for advertising. This is not happening anytime soon. Like for, for Netflix, it could be two years away before this happens. This is not happening tomorrow. It feels like they were all sitting around in a conference room and there's been a, you know, in case of emergency break glass box where they, it's always been there. And they've known it's there, but whenever they needed it, they've broken the glass and they're like, okay, ads and password sharing. All right. This is all fascinating. I think we're going to see how this plays out. Rich, thank you for joining us. I know you're busy. I appreciate the time. Thanks for having me, Matt. All right. We are back with the call sheet. Uh, going to stay on Netflix today. 
Producer Craig, do you share your Netflix password? I don't pay for a single streaming service, to be completely honest. I think I use <laughs> friends and family across the board. All right, so you are the target here. Reed Hastings wants your money. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> my prediction is, I, I think this is a long overdue correction for Netflix. I think that they have been overvalued as the first mover in the market for a long time. And yes, the competition has caught up to them. And yes, they have problems in you know making enough hits given the spend that they they uh, put the outlay on content. But my prediction is that Netflix will stabilize and even grow as the year goes on because I think that what they are doing with the password sharing crackdown and uh, you know by f hopefully focusing a little bit more on the core product here, I think they're going to st stabilize. Yeah, it's 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 not the sexiest take, but it's probably the right one. And you just think subscribers will grow, revenue will increase because more people are just going to be signing up because of their crackdowns. I also think things like Stranger Things matter. Yeah, Stranger Things is their biggest franchise. It was not, it has not been on for uh, I believe eighteen months or so now, and they're it's coming this summer, and they are splitting up the season, uh, not by accident, to be among two different quarters financially. Ah. So you're going to see a subscriber boost in the second quarter and then also see it in the third quarter if people want to watch Stranger Things right when it comes out. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm completely with you on the binge model not being the successful one because it pulls you out of the cultural zeitgeist. People can't talk about Stranger Things with friends because you have to, you have to preface the conversation with, wait, how far are you? Totally. Oh, you've watched five? Oh, I've watched two. Okay, we can't talk. Meanwhile, these HBO shows become a running thing that we talk about succession and winning time and all these shows week to week. And it's just free advertising. People feel like they need to be subscribed in order to be caught up on what's going on rather than just signing up, watching, canceling, or not being part of the conversation. Yeah, I think that's a good call. All right, I want to thank Rich Greenfield of Lightshed Media. I want to thank producer Craig Horlbeck, and I want to thank you. We will see you tomorrow.